Hello, I'm Suzette Shamoon. I'm a psychologist and cognitive hypnotherapist, and this is my podcast, Hand Baggage Only. In this series, along with an array of guests, I'll be examining the emotional baggage that builds up and clutters our lives due to the complex nature of our life experiences and relationships with those around us. When is a friend truly no longer a friend? How do our friendships change when our life circumstances do? And why do those around us not always act in a way which we would want or expect them to? And why don't we? We'll explore these questions and more together so that we enter our friendships with hand baggage only and leave room for stronger, more authentic friendships to grow. Hello and welcome to Hand Baggage Only. So today we're exploring the complicated situation of what happens to our relationships when we share a secret about ourselves and when we need to learn how to manage the reactions of those around us. Now I'm today specifically focusing on that situation of coming out and what it's like to share something so deeply personal about yourself to those around you and perhaps anticipating a negative result as a result. James is an internationally renowned interior designer and he's a very good friend. And interestingly enough, I had no idea of his experience of coming out until recently. And so today he's going to share with us his experience of growing up in the south of the United States, what it was like struggling with his own self-image and own self-acceptance before he was able to actually share with his family and share with his friends what it's like being gay. James's story is compelling and I could honestly talk to him and listen to him forever. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. James, thank you so much for being with me today. You and I have been friends for years. years. and We've spoken about so many different things. And it was only when I was speaking to you about this whole podcast series that I'm doing that you told me a little bit about your experience of coming out and how that affected your friendships and which is surprising because we're good friends. And it never came up in conversation, which is which is odd. Right? Yes. So already I'm questioning our friendship. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but before we go there, I, I just want to say I, I want to put a little caveat in. Mm. Of all the other guests I've had, there's always been something which I've been able to relate to. And your experience is something that I actually, I have nothing. <laughs> I tried to think about it and I, I just came up blank. So if I ask questions which seem insensitive or stupid, just put it down to naivety. Feel free to call me out on it. I, uh, I feel very safe here. I don't, I, and, I, and, and generally when anyone asks me questions about, you know, being gay, which is not exactly... The most important thing about me, but it is one aspect of my life. Yeah. As long as people are asking questions, I'm, I'm not offended. It's yeah. it's more important to share information, I think, than be professionally offended by questions. I love that. Thank you. Okay, so I think really where I want to start is, when did you start making sense of your sexual orientation, your sexuality? It was quite young. I knew I was different. I mean, I, I didn't know that, I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know there was a label for it. But I was thinking about this just yesterday in uh, light of our recent conversations. And I just kind of realized that there was in, I mean, I was young. It might have been first or second grade. There was this kid, Neil, who I was just, I just thought he was the cutest thing. Had eyes like Bambi, huge doe eyes. 
And uh, there was a little girl, Diana, who I think had a crush on me. And she was always interested in playing with me. And I really only had eyes for Neil. And when I look back at it like that, my mother was like, all he does is talk about Neil. Neil was absolutely <laughs> adorable. And I think maybe that's kind of when I was like, hmm. I mean, you know, as my, uh, my teacher at the time called my mother in, she said, she said, you know, James is very special. He's very, very special child. And my brother's like, yes, I know. My brother being modest as always. Oh, absolutely, I know. He's wonderful. Um, she said to me two weeks ago, she said, you know, I look back and I think maybe she meant gay. I was like, well, she got there in the end. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for showing up, Mom. That was, yes, I think that's exactly what the teacher was telling you all those, all those years ago. But did I know what it was? No, I just knew that I was maybe different and quite early on. Okay, so then that's in first grade. So for us, that would be when you're like six, well, anyway, yeah, I be six, seven years old, right? Very so young kid. Yeah, I mean, I remember my first crushes around that time. I remember, I actually don't remember my first crush. I just remember being teased incessantly no. by my sister. <laughs> um, but then I got that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you move on into middle school, so age 12, 13. That's when we start to become a little bit more vocal about the people we, we like, you know. I mean, if you're if you're a kid that's different, that's a really difficult age. I really struggled with feeling different. We we had come from another country, so we moved to the United States from Canada, and we were already by that age we were already different. Mm. We looked the same as everyone else, but we spoke slightly differently. We kind of thought differently. So I always felt slightly uh, like an imposter in that sense. And then knowing that I was different, I wasn't particularly great at sports. I take that back. I wasn't great at team sports. You know, fabulously uncoordinated and accident prone. My parents very much decided that the path for me was anything I could play on my own and didn't interact with other people, largely because of the sheer volume of medical bills that they were getting in from my injuries. But, you know, I, I felt much more different. And I think having a, a brother and sister who are quite similar in age and going through school at the same time and seeing how my brother kind of sailed through athletics and social situations and things like that. And he just seemed to fit in, you know, with the Americans, with the whole scene. He just kind of fell into it. and It was no problem for him where I always felt like it was much more of an effort. That's difficult, but I, I suppose it's, it's also what you know. That's, that's all you know. So it's just... You know, I can look back and say I found it difficult, but at the time, it's you know, it was what it was. Yeah, but you also compare yourselves. I think we do, no? Because oh. I remember, I remember my sister having this amazing social circle and me being like, Ugh, like I struggled. Yeah. Um, it's not that people were calling me incessantly because they wanted to see me. I had to make the effort, and and it was an effort. It felt like. I agree, and especially moving on into later years into high school. I mean, there was. You know, you, you start looking at the social structure of things, and, and I always reference the movie Heathers because it was so freakishly accurate for the schools that we went to. You had your popular set, and then you had the jocks, the athletes, and the brains and all of those things, and I sat back and thought, right, where do I want to be, and how do I get there, and who do I have to hang out with to do that, and who do I have to be? And that's that's when a real persona started to build you know I created this person who would be dating the right people going to the right thing doing the right thing I don't think most people bought it for a minute but 
you know, in my mind, I was pulling it off. I was one of the normal kids. I was, you know, straight acting. I was dating girls. Everything was completely normal. Was it successful? I think in retrospect, probably not. But it was for the late 80s. It was, you know, Look, successful mean, enough. It depends on what success is, yeah, right? That, that's right. it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's a different conversation. Yeah. But, okay, so you're dating girls. Who is your closest friend? Oh, this is this is a really difficult question. Um, this comes into who I was and being an authentic person. And I I had lots of friends at the time. Did any of them actually know really who I was? Yeah. Not really. I mean, I was putting on an act the whole time. So I think my siblings and my family saw me for me. Um, and I think they saw all the good and the bad in me. But I don't think my friends ever really got to see who I was because largely I was just playing a role the entire time. And and I continued to do that all the way through high school. And I don't know if I really had any genuine friendships outside of my family. There's people I spent time with and there are people I was, you know, acquainted with, but I never really felt any connection. I think that's largely to do with the fact that I wasn't connected to who I was yeah, at the time. Is- you know, I didn't want to be the gay kid. I didn't want that. You know, it was growing up in a, a Catholic household and going to um, what we call religious education. That was a bad thing. It was the 80s. And, you know, being gay meant dying of AIDS. It was on television all over the place. It was it was a death sentence. And it was something to be ashamed of. And I didn't want any part of that. I wanted to have a, a different life. I did everything I could to avoid that label and avoid that lifestyle, which very much meant playing a role and, you know, cocooning myself, my real self away from anyone who might get to know me because God forbid they did. And they figured out that I was gay. What do you do then? There's no comeback. You're exposed. Your life is over. So that was your worst fear. That was my worst fear. Absolutely. I didn't want to hurt my family. I didn't want to hurt myself. I didn't want to hurt my chances, my prospects in life. You know, that goes into what I followed in university and education. And it goes into, you know, all areas of my life, but specifically in my friendships. I just never allowed anyone to get close to me until many years later. How do you make that switch then? Because essentially what you're describing is you know who you are. Mm. You see yourself for who you are. Mm. Not you don't like it, but you're afraid of it because you're afraid it's not socially acceptable oh it was more yeah it was absolutely that it wasn't socially acceptable i mean it was in those days it was a death sentence if you're gay you're going to die of aids and that's really kind of what was drilled into you you know we were in the south of the united states we were in a republican pocket of the universe we were catholic i mean there there was nothing going for you that said you've got it all against you exactly (laughs) there's nothing about this that said yeah it'll be fine you know i wasn't growing up in new york city surrounded by artsy people it was a very scary time to think that oh this curse and i just remember thinking god why can't i be normal and maybe if i just keep faking it maybe it'll click in the whole fake it till you make it maybe it'll just click in did you ever identify anyone else around you who was gay? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, my mother was completely oblivious to it. God bless her. But, you know, interior designer, hairdresser. I mean, I mean, it goes on and on. Every stereotype you can think, you're like, gay, 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 gay. <laughs> to the point that when I, I told my mother I was gay, which is a whole other story, she said, I don't know any gay people. I was like, oh, God, am I going to have to start the list? One being myself. You know me. And let's go through the list of other people that are around you all the time that are gay. Fast forward, she finds out the gay men are actually quite a lot of fun and she prefer to hang out with them. Could have told her that years ago. <laughs> okay, but how about at school? You um, have been the only gay kid. There's just no way. There's no oh, way you're no, the no, only gay kid. No, absolutely. No, I was not the only gay kid, but the other kids were even more gay than me. And they had a much rougher ride than I did. I mean, you know, putting yourself in like, you know, theater, it's like, whoa, that's just, you know, a death sentence. I kept well away from anything that would like look that obvious. But some things you can't hide. No, no high school kid has 50 pairs of shoes that isn't gay. Um, it's just not normal. It was leaking out all over the place. It was, you know, there was really no hiding it by the end, which is a good thing because we move on to university at that point. So Okay. Yeah. And then what happened with university? Um, university was incredibly difficult. You do what you're supposed to do and you join a fraternity and you, you know, have roommates. And, you know, I met some incredible people at university who were great uh great guys but again i was just playing a role i was being very inauthentic and i just was trying to pursue a life that wasn't really for me i should have gone into design i should have gone into the arts i should have gone into an art school but i thought if i went to business or pre-med or something like that it would lead me down a path of something that was more appropriate for a straight acting person. And um, the whole time, I was lying about who I was. I was lying about where my talents lie. I was lying about what I was good at and what I enjoyed doing. So there was another facade. And it wasn't until I left university that I kind of, I took a break from university. I was there for two years and I was incredibly unhappy. I called my parents and said, I, I want to come home. I wasn't enjoying it. My grades weren't great. I went to uh, a state school and staying relatively close to home, again, in the Deep South, with all of its prejudices, I would say. It was just like home, but moving slightly further away. And what I should have done, retrospectively, is just to break free and do something new and something different and far away. But I didn't. Did no one ever question you? Did you not have one friend who say, James... I love you, but have you ever considered that you're not the person that you're putting out? Oh, I mean, there was definitely people. Men didn't want to know. They wouldn't ask and they didn't want to know. Um, if they did, they wouldn't say it to your face. There'd be girls who are just like, oh, you're adorable. And, you know, <laughs> it was like after two weeks of dating, they're like, oh, we think you're gay. <laughs> and you're like, that's not why, because I have all of the Pet Shop Boys albums. I mean, who doesn't? And, you know, I mean, like, there's like, you know, there were signs all over the place. My wardrobe, my dorm room, all of the, I mean, all of these things were, were big, big neon signs. But I think a lot of people also see what they want to see. And, you know, it wasn't something that was popular then. Even in university, it was not, you know, the Deep South is football and... A certain mentality that goes with it. Yeah. So it's a very masculine environment. And I guess yeah. if you're projecting this image, there's two ways of being a good friend. The one is, okay, I'm going to support you because you're obviously not ready. And the other way is, 
what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Well, you know, the conversation wasn't, you know, we're talking way before television shows like Will and Grace and things Mm -hmm. like that. Gay people were the one you saw in movies who got the neighbor with the cat who got murdered or, you know, worse, the one who was the killer. There weren't great reference points for gay people. It wasn't until later that it became something that was considered not shameful. And that is a much later part of my life. I left university and kind of came back to my parents' home just to kind of figure myself out. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I needed to do something different. I knew I needed to, I wanted a change. And I didn't know if that meant going traveling or doing a job that I wanted to do. So I just kind of started over without the pressure of, university career and having to succeed and being on a, on a direct path. You know, I had a little breakdown in the sense that I, I just deconstructed my plan for what was going to happen and what was expected. That was the other thing. You have to imagine that, you know, we came from a community where not going Ivy League was incredibly embarrassing. You were bred for success. Your parents' cocktail conversation is always based around what your children are achieving and what they're doing and where they're going and what, where they're interning, where their job is and all their success. I'm sure that hasn't changed over the years. You no, know. We're perfect parents. Yeah, we <laughs> I was going to say, everyone's so evolved now. <laughs> so I kind of decided to change my direction. I tried a lot of things that I was interested in. I worked at a restaurant for a while because I was, you know, I loved cooking and I wanted to know more about it. And I learned how restaurants worked and that was interesting. I worked for a retail company, extremely high end. I'll be honest, that was largely for the discount. I mean, you know, the shopping was out of control. <laughs> And they extended the discount to your entire family. So, I mean, it was just outrageous. And I worked for a design firm, which for a kid that was choosing wallpaper for his mother's friends from the age of 14 was a no-brainer. But that was a big step for me because that was almost admitting that I might be good at being a designer, an interior designer, interior decorator. That was a big step. I mean, that was like, you know, ooh, opening the door, just nudging your foot in the door. Turns out I was good at it and I enjoyed it and I loved everything about it. And the more comfortable I got into it, the more comfortable I, I became with the situation. I, uh, the more people I met who might be, as my mother would call them at the time, a gay. Because I also didn't know any. That was the other thing. It was something that you heard about, but you didn't really interact with. Well, this is what I was going back to before is when you were in high school, if you noticed that there were other kids who were gay, it's interesting that you never wanted to interact with them, get to know them, get to be part Social of Social suicide. Absolutely no way. No way. Uh-uh. No. I, nope. Our, our clique in high school, I managed to get into a super high-achieving, powerful clique. They were called the Senior Bitches. And they were wonderful, clever, attractive girls and the people that kind of orbited around them. But, you know, you just wouldn't. I mean, you know, hanging out with a kid that, you know, everybody thought was gay would be absolute social suicide. I was hiding from everyone and had no contact with anyone who actually might have been a guide at that point, whether whether my age or older. I had no one to confide in and I had no one, you know, no one to talk to about. It was incredibly lonely, incredibly difficult and... Uh, explains, I think, why my friendships in that time, I don't really consider, my my friendships outside my family, I should say, I don't really consider friendships. My friendships within my family, because we saw each other all the time, because we lived together. My siblings and I were so close in age, 
you know, they were essentially school friends and siblings and the people I lived with. They knew who I was. There was no getting away from it. You couldn't keep that persona the whole Uh -uh, time. Absolutely not. My brother knew exactly what I was. And my brother, who was six inches taller than me, naturally athletic, and the straightest person you've ever met. I mean, we were so opposite and he knew exactly and he took great pleasure in beating the crap out of me and my sister i mean i think she knew she always knew she said she always knew but you know she would never bring it up so again it goes back to that thing of the good friends who wait for you to be ready to own who you are Mm. versus the friends who just support you and allow you to to play that persona. And it seems as if that's the difference you've got between the friendships that you had going through high school and and college versus the friendships you had within your own family system. Yes. I mean, there's, there's one of the two that's endured. And I think it's very much my own fault for that. I suffer from this ability to... If people, if someone goes out of my eye line, it's not that I forget them. They're just not in my eye line. So, you know, going to university, moving to another country, as I when I when I moved to to Britain, I I, I really started over. So the friendships that I had, who were you know my acquaintances and friendships through high school, I never wrote them off. They weren't in my eye line anymore. Whereas my family would be, you know, through the holidays and things like that. They were in my eye line. So I, I obviously, in their family, because you have to continue that relationship. That friendship with my family evolved over the years from who I was as a child to the annoying teenager, the very entitled 20-year-old, to the person who then decided I was gay. That was it. I was, you know, going to tell them I was gay. And, you know, in the order that I, I told them was uh, my sister... My brother, they were um, at university in Florida, and I drove across the state to tell them. My sister was very funny, and she said, yes, well, you know, I always thought so. I just thought you were going to catch something from dating all those women. Charming. My brother said, "Mm, okay. Uh, That was his big reaction. But then planned an entire day. I have to thank his girlfriend at the time for this, because I'm sure that's where the suggestion came from doing things that I would like to do. I think they got like the gay guy handbook. So (laughs) we went brunch, we went to brunch, we went antiquing, we went clothes shopping. It was absolutely hilarious. But the most lovely day, my brother was so wonderfully supportive. And I think that is when my friendship with my siblings really took off. Being honest with myself, being honest with them, is when I really started enjoying them as people, as opposed to them being a constant annoyance in my life. Because you're being authentic. Bingo. If you show them who you are, you're actually inviting them to to love you for who you are. Absolutely. And, you know, all the fear I had about them accepting me was, was kind of gone. We'd, they were in their last years of university at that point. I was about to move overseas to England. And so I didn't feel like I had much to lose, honestly. My parents were, it was slightly different. My mother... I didn't mean to tell, honestly, and that sounds crazy, but, you know, because I'd been living back with my parents, we've been spending a lot of time together. Every family relationship has friction. Anybody who's moved back in with their parents will tell you that. So I always got along with my mother relatively well. But I remember we were walking on the beach after dinner one night. Sunset, beautiful. And she said something to me. It was about work. And she said, you have to be careful about who you associate with because people might think you're a gay and i don't know what it was that set me off 
But I think it was because I'd already told my siblings and they, and I felt like I had backing somehow. And I whipped around and said, what if I was a gay? <laughs> and, and she said, are you a gay? And I was like, we need to stop saying a gay. <laughs> um, which at the time was totally okay. But now we wouldn't say that. And I said, uh, yes, I am. And she said, oh, my God, I don't want you to die of AIDS. <laughs> and I was just like, well, that went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Um, so she cried. I cried. We cried. We walked. We walked. We walked. And then we didn't talk about it for a while. I mean, it's like, you know, she didn't, she wasn't over the moon. It wasn't what she wanted. You know, she just kept saying, this isn't what I wanted for your life. And I can understand that. But, you know, she didn't stop talking to me. And then I left for England. And I guess I wanted to get that out maybe before I left. My father, I regret, I didn't have a chance to speak to before I left. And for no other reason than I thought, my father was never worried about. He was a very, you know, my, my father had friends who were gay. So it wasn't the big deal it was to my mother. He was just very easy about these things. My mother was very accepting about everything. He just kind of accepted people for what they were. Unfortunately, I think it was maybe his birthday that my mother took the opportunity to tell him uh, on my behalf, which was not great of her. But, you know, and he wrote me a beautiful letter saying, I'm sorry you felt you couldn't tell me, which was actually the opposite. Uh, because the reason I didn't tell him uh, was because I didn't think it would matter that much. But I think I heard him and I regret that. Again, my friendship with my parents took off from that point. It was about being honest and authentic to myself and with them, which almost, it opened, I would say, a floodgate. Sometimes I wish I could just close that door. Of honesty from their side, too, and who they were as people. Sometimes you just don't need to know everything. I am officially the child who knows far too much about my parents. My siblings don't want to know any of it. And um, it's just me and my therapist sometimes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, Do you think having that level of support, having your parents, your siblings giving you what you were not giving yourself for all those years. So just recognition, validation, acceptance, all those things which all of us want. Do you think the fact that they gave you all of that gave you the courage to then tell the rest of the world? Oh, absolutely. And also the geographic change. I decided when I moved to England to go to design school. I mean, it was it was such a quick progression when I when I was like, right, am I going to do this? I'm going to do this well. I'm going to be an interior designer. I'm going to be gay. I'm going to, you know, I mean, like I got a personal trainer. I went to the gym. I lost weight. I started dressing better. I, you know, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to England and I'm going to do it well. I'm going to be a, a an A-class gay, right? This is it. <laughs> We're going to excel at this. We're going to excel at university. We're going to graduate with honors. Did it. You know, have a personal trainer the entire time. Go to the gym six times a week. Did it. Just really be at the top of my Fantastic game. Fantastic wardrobe. I, I was, you know, <laughs> the wardrobe endures. Um, <laughs> and accessories. And the accessories. It's an, it's an addiction. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really nice to have the backing of my family, you know, to go to a foreign country and really start over. But know that I, I had the backing of my my family who were then my friends and that that made a big difference they weren't just the people that i was genetically related to they had become friends at that point and really enjoying conversations with my brother and sister and enjoying conversations with my mother who i i absolutely adore and i very much consider one of my good friends in addition to being my mother which is something that wasn't necessarily the case before that's interesting that 
those friendships that I obviously still have with them today, I really categorize as friendships as well as family relationships. If that makes sense. Yeah, which is lovely. But I think also there is something to do with age that comes with that mm. as well. I think when you were younger, your parents had to parent you a lot more. Mm. And there is a boundary that parents can't really cross. You're not there to be your kid's friend. You're there to be their parent. And sometimes being a parent is really rubbish because you have to put in boundaries. You have to tell them no. You can't let them do whatever they want. You have to be the bad guy. And that can affect the friendship element of, of the relationship. But as you grow up and age, you do less of that as a parent. And that allows for more of the friendship style relationship to, to enter, I find. I would agree. I would say that I think because of this event, my mother and I are closer mm. than my siblings maybe. And I don't mean that it's not a, it's not a favorite thing because that's obvious. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's um, genuinely, I think, you know, when you, you get to a point where you're just being brutally honest with your, your parents, you know, it brings you closer. Yeah. And I think there is a slight distance with my siblings and my mother, maybe because they haven't had to go through this. I don't, it's the only thing that I can explain or think explains it. I don't, I don't know. I think when you go through something big in your life and you've got someone there supporting you and they've actually been through it with you, that it does, it, it, it's, it's not that you're closer. It just strengthens the bond in a different way. I think. I would agree. My mother and I ended up being the two people who were there at the end of my father's life. And it wasn't through lack of my other siblings visiting and, and doing their turn. It just happened that, that I was there. And it again, you know, the the bond I have with my mother, my friendship with my mother. At that point, you're going through such a... Someone who's a, you know, in a hospice and she'd been going for months and I, I ended up just being there for the last... Bit, but it's such a surreal experience and, and you, you become so close and you're so exhausted and everything's so dark and bleak and you know at, at some point everything just becomes a bit funny because you're just so tired and you're mm -hmm. so spent and, and you know and the smallest things make you laugh it's not appropriate for everyone's story of losing a parent but I, I was talking to my mother about this last week just things like you know having to go and pick out an urn and going to pick out flowers and it happened to be close to Valentine's Day, and we're sitting in the middle of this florist, and there's everything. And the, again, we're in the deep south. At this point, they'd moved to Georgia, I mean, even deeper in the south. So there was everything from a, a heart made of ugly red carnations to Jesus on the cross made out of carnations. I mean, it was horrendous. And we're trying to choose funereal flowers, and my mother just keeps choosing the orchids. And the woman just kept saying, those are fake orchids. Those are silk. And my mother's like, so I can put them in my living room after the funeral. And she was horrified. But, you know, these I just I find all these stories very personal, but very funny. And our friendship grew even through that horrible time. And it does today, still. You know, my mother's a great friend of mine. And I think it informs a lot of the friendships I have with some of my clients who are older and how I relate to them. Yeah. I have a deep affection for my older clients. I, I find them very clever, very wise. They're very secure in who they are. And I have huge respect for that. But I also find them incredibly funny. Wildly funny. Yeah, I think that's all stems from my relationship with my mother, I suppose. Okay, so then what about your childhood friendships and the friends that, you know, you left, you left the States, you came to the UK, you've just come out. In theory you've got the same opportunity to mm. strengthen those bonds. It's, oh, I never really went backwards. When I moved here, I, I never went back. I can't erase the, the people I grew up with and, and things like that. But whereas my brother seems to be obsessed with getting in touch with everybody from high school 
and has tried to a few times arrange meetings with people from school and like, oh, you know, who he went to school with. Well, they happen to be in Seattle. They happen to be in San Francisco. And when we're there, I don't feel like I need to go back and rekindle or revisit anything because it didn't mean anything to me. And that sounds horrible. It's not that they weren't lovely people. I just, I wasn't invested in it because I was just playing a role. You. I wasn't me. I was playing a role. Everything since moving to London, all of those people, all the people I've known for years and years and years, yourself included, you. um, those people I hold dear. They've known me from day one for who I was. And it, it's allowed me to move past the idea that I don't even have to tell anyone that I'm gay. It's not the most important thing about me. It's an aspect of my personality. It doesn't define me. So I, I, I think my authentic friendships really happened when I, when I moved here in, God, I'm going to say my mid-20s. I think I say I moved here when I was 22, but I think that might be an exaggeration by four years. But then again, every year I seem to claim that I'm a year younger. So Works for at me. some point I'm going to be back in my 20s again if I keep this up. I love it. <laughs> because if you're, you're in your 20s, then I'm a teenager. <laughs> I'm very happy for that. This is why we're friends. You keep me young. <laughs> Literally, yes, yes. We just keep telling each other that. <laughs> Okay, so you come to England mm -hmm. and you're just you. Mm. I guess if you've moved here and you've decided to be you and no longer play that role, you don't need to reveal anything. There's nothing. Because you're there's, just you. There's nothing. I moved here. I moved here with a very, very lovely German guy and we moved into an apartment together and that was it. It was like doing it. This is me. It's who I am. I'm a gay now, as mom would say. Yeah, it was just, it was it was incredibly freeing and allowed me to focus on other things like my career and what I wanted to do and finishing university and um, looking for a job and just having fun, really having fun and not having to look over my shoulder or wonder what people were thinking about me, you know. I mean, that's when my life started. I feel like everything before that was a real struggle, really difficult and really lonely. There's an appropriate time for everyone to come out. And, and I think that's very much based around how safe you feel in your surroundings. My situation was nothing to do with my family, who loved me very much. It was more to do with the society that I was in. Um, and whether my perception of that is skewed or not... I was going to ask you that. ...doesn't matter. Okay. Because for oh, me, it was no. my reality. Yes. Okay. Mm. Mm. I can't. I'm thirst. Mm. <laughs> but Challenge me. Yeah, I have to. Whether you're perception of that is real or not yes but if your perception of that wasn't real you struggled unnecessarily for years i can only speak for myself i don't think my perception of it was in any way skewed you wouldn't because it's your perception i understand <laughs> that nature of i understand that believe it's real yeah um but you know i didn't really want to get beat up for being gay no i mean i, you know, I, I respect that yeah, I, just, I respect that but do you ever question do you remember when Facebook started? Uh -huh. And, and God, we sound like old dinosaurs. If my kids listen to this, they're going to be like, God, you're so old. I was going to say, what's Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> but all of a sudden, everybody made a profile and everyone was like, oh my God, I want to see if so-and-so is on there. I want to see what they're up to. And I want to, do you remember that those days? You're looking at me blankly. No. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So. I'm the, I'm the weirdo older than me. I know, but I'm, I'm the weirdo <laughs> that didn't do any of that. I, I never, I never understood why people wanted to. Do you think yeah. that's because you've got that cut and dried, that was one part of my life, I've closed that door. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't feel the need to, you know, contact the first person I dated in junior school or whatever that was. 
like I said, I really closed the door on that part of my life. And it's not because they were bad people or I didn't like them. It was just because uh, it wasn't relevant anymore. The person that I was wasn't the person that I am. When you look at my life in in acts, the first act wasn't genuine. So I don't, it's not that I don't value it. I don't relate to it. I understand that. Do you think it's because all of your friendships in high school, junior school, middle school, whatever it is, you weren't you, you were playing this role. Absolutely. Do you think that's affected the way you are now with your friends? Do you think because you've been through this massive experience of inauthenticity that actually now it's made you... Distant? No, I I would actually say be 100% you that's i think that's the thing which drew me to you as a friend is that i i always know who you are mm. there's no there's no smoke and, smoke and mirrors i always know what you're thinking <laughs> i always know what it, you you don't hold back i i see you i hear you i you know it's always there and you never have to wonder what i'm thinking no thank god um and it's easy that's why our friendship is easy because you, you don't hide. <laughs> Literally, you don't hide. Do you think that's because you learnt, like, you learnt a really big lesson from your childhood? Um, I think, yes. I mean, did I did I explode into the person that I am now? Yes. I mean, I, I think you can only spend so many years being incredibly measured and watching everything you say and every hand gesture you make and how you walk. And, you know, I was so paranoid about all of these things. It was exhausting. It was exhausting. So... Now I think about it a whole lot less. And I have a lot more time to focus on the people around me. I didn't have any time to focus on the friendships around me when I was when I was a kid because I was too busy trying not to be found out. That's all my energy went into. You know, there was nothing real. I wasn't receiving information from anybody else. I was just like, oh, God. You know, you know me well. So even now, half the time when I'm listening to people talk, I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) But, you know, back then I I had absolutely no ability to take in anything from anyone else because I was just too busy trying to not be gay. It can go either way. So, you know how you have some friends who, you know, they're not being themselves. You Mm -hmm. know, they're... They're either because they're going through something, they're, they're just a bit insecure about something, they're just not being themselves. Do you think having lived your experience, it has made you more patient with them or has it made you less patient with them? Like, oh, for heaven's sakes, get over yourself, own yourself, just be you. It's funny. I think I'm incredibly sensitive to people's emotional states. I think I, I, I've been told I have a very high EQ. Um, I, I think I can see people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, it affects me deeply. I think when it comes to friendships, I have patience, but I, I also have enough distance to be able to protect myself from okay. it. I think it's very easy to get drawn into other people's unhappiness and chaos and disaster. And some people are very comfortable in that. And I was comfortable in it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so much now, I hope. But um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say... It makes me incredibly patient with it, but I can recognize it and I can sympathize and I can empathize with it. I think, I mean, obviously, sometimes it depends on the person. Mm. But I know that for me, there are certain people who, when they're going through certain things, I sit there and I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes, just own it. Yeah, I mean, I own who you are. My mother's a fixer. So if you tell her something's wrong, 
she tells you how to fix it. Mm. And something you've taught me as a great talker and bad listener, that's speaking about myself, not you, you are quite the opposite, is that sometimes people just want to be heard. And that's something you've really taught me. And God knows anyone who loves the sound of their own voice as much as me, it's a struggle to to really let someone speak and be able to listen. But I think it's hugely important because sometimes you just someone just needs to say it out loud to you. And you just need to just sit there and listen mm-hmm. and just, just sympathize and just nod and say, that is awful. And that's all that's needed. I think one of the things you're kind of hinting at is that the way the years of hiding who I was does sort of affect the way I deal with people now. I'm not instantly open to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I very much um, get a feeling from people. And it, it takes a while. I'm not going to let everybody in instantly. And even the people who think they know me quite well, um, who I've known for years, there's a whole nother inner chamber there yeah. where, you know, after 10 years, you'll you'll really understand who I am. Um, and, hence, well, hence yes. I just found out about your whole experience of coming out <laughs> That's just after, it. what, 15 years? Like, shame on you? Hello? Let, let's let's <laughs> be honest. You you wooed me into a place of safety. I mean, you toured me around Selfridges for how long? Looking at lovely things. You said, let's get a cup of coffee. I was like, well, I feel totally comfortable now. And all of a sudden, all these secrets spilled out. And I was like, oh! <laughs> how did that come out? I was like, oh. I looked back and I was like, mm, she knew what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, it took me 15 years to learn how to do it, okay? <laughs> yeah, it was that little stroll around Fendi. I was like, oh, after this, I'm an open book. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I can still play the person who is um, present but completely unavailable. I can still put on a show for uh, people I don't want to get close to me and don't want to, to know me. But um, I think once you're in... I'm pretty, pretty authentic these days. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. James, you've just been absolutely fantastic. I think everything you've shared, your honesty has been amazing. Say it again. Can't believe after all this time, there's so much that I still don't know. (laughs) We've got years to go. I know. I know. I'm trying to work out who's who's the good friend and who's the bad friend. Here. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, don't be silly. You've always no, been you've always been a wonderful friend. No, to I'm me. joking, but listening to you makes me. Do you know? It actually validates some of what I've been thinking, saying, doing over the past few years in my life. Be it for myself, my therapy practice, um, these podcasts, the, you know, everything that I do. There is that thing of until we see ourselves mm. and and are ready to see ourselves for who we are, mm. listen to our own needs, our desires. It, I, I don't really think we can authentically have true friendships until we do that for ourselves first, because then you put yourself out there and you invite others in to actually see you for who you are, listen to you, befriend you in the way that you need them to, accept you for who you are, value you for who you are. The story you've just shared of your life with me, until you valued yourself, you were never going to have those deep authentic friendships that you deserve and thank you for sharing that as I said it's, it's for me it's just validation I really appreciate you coming today thank you so much it's been absolutely my pleasure thank you so much for joining me James I think the thing that struck me the most about our conversation is this thing that I always talk about that to connect to others you really need to be connected to yourself 
I love that the day your life changed and you started living the way you wanted to live was the day you were really willing to see yourself for who you are, show yourself for who you are, let your voice be heard and you've got an incredible voice and accept and value yourself because you've allowed others to really accept and value you for who you are and anyone who doesn't, honestly, that is their problem. They're not your people. Next week, things are going to be a lot closer to home. I'm going to be speaking to my own daughter about her experience of friendship and probably we're going to be touching on some of these same underlying themes, what it's like to be seen in the way we want to be seen, what it's like to show ourselves in the way we want to be shown. Thank you so much for joining me and see you next time. Handbaggage Only is presented by me, Suzette Shamoon, produced by Amanda Redman and brought to you by Audir Communications. Please remember to rate and review the show and to leave a comment with any themes you would like us to explore. For more information, you can go to suzettshamoon.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.